Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our last Tech Buzz episode and the last two Extra Buzz newsletters on how the COVID-19 virus is hitting China Tech. As the country is only very slowly getting back on its feet, there isn't a whole lot of news that's not virus-related. And so we are going to talk about it too. But today, with a specific emphasis on ed tech. But before we do that, let's give an update for those tech buzzers who might not have been as immersed as we've been in epidemic-related news. As of this recording, there are now over 2,000 deaths attributed to the coronavirus and over 70,000 confirmed cases, all in China alone. Experts seem divided on whether or not we've seen the worst, and for many businesses, a full recovery seems pretty far away. Now, tech and knowledge workers who can work effectively remotely seem to be doing all right, as listeners in these industries have reached out and told us. But the businesses requiring physical labor, especially factories, are still in a state of chaos, as you would expect. In a survey of small and medium-sized businesses conducted last Friday, a good 40% are still not operating and estimate that they are at least two weeks away from doing so. Additionally, less than 10% are optimistic that they can achieve profitability this year, which is a problem indeed for those who aren't surviving on venture capital. Some of the delay is because special permits need to be obtained from the local government in order to resume work, along with a bunch of epidemic-specific paperwork that must be filled out, some of these daily for every employee. Extremely tedious to administer, but which, as an unintended consequence, might boost the e-signature and document management business, as we noted in our Extra Buzz newsletter. Other delays are because, realistically, a lot of workers went home over the holidays and each region seems to have different quarantine rules that are triggered when they return. Add to that the cost of virus prevention supplies. Costs of quarantine for all staff should even one be found infected. And you can see why business owners are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Luckily, the group we're focusing on today, that's K-12 EdTech entrepreneurs, are the lucky ones. You can probably guess that their businesses are growing and not shrinking because of the epidemic. But what were the key trends and who were the key players before the virus hit? And how are they responding now? As always, we will give you all the context we can so you can understand the conditions that are driving this very unique market. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network by SubChina. 
We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. TechBuzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of our two co-hosts, Ray Ma. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Liu. We'd like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and Sup China, the creator of the Sinica Podcast Network. In addition to TechBuzz, you can also find Sinica, which covers current affairs, Nui Voices, and Ta for Ta on Women, the business-oriented China Econ Talk, and the Taixin Sinica Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. Oh, and an announcement: We just launched TechBuzzChina.com, where you can sign up for our new Extra Buzz newsletter. Check out our first two issues and subscribe for more insights and content on China tech for just two dollars a month. Finally, as always, if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other platform you use. So Yingying, we've only devoted about an episode and a half in all of TechBuzz so far to EdTech. There was episode forty-seven on VIP Kid, which was specifically about English learning for the younger crowd, and episode fifty-three on gaming giant Netties, which talked a little bit about Youdao, a recently listed Netties spinoff that's got about sixty percent of its revenues coming from education. Well, the lack of episodes is certainly not because there's nothing to talk about. If we disregard the technology component and look at education broadly as an industry, it has provided an immense number of investment opportunities in recent years. I mean, in the last three years alone, at least twenty-five Chinese education companies have gone public, although most of them are on the Hong Kong stock exchange, and only a handful are here in the U.S. And even if we only talk about edtech, China is a force to be reckoned with. In fact, in 2018, the headline raging in edtech circles was that 50% of the venture capital that year deployed in edtech globally went to Chinese companies, more than twice as much as second place United States. And that trend has mostly persisted, with the U.S. pouring in. 1.7 billion dollars into edtech last year, and China at nearly 3 billion. That's impressive, given that China had a 60 percent decline in venture capital last year, but the edtech sector held steady and bucked the trend. And now with the epidemic, K-12 edtech is surging because it's become mandatory to move all learning online. Whole cities are still under quarantine, and the risk of infection means that no schools are open until at least March, possibly later, maybe even in May. That's a long time to be out of the classroom, right? No wonder everyone is kind of freaking out. But should they? Didn't we just say that China had the most edtech investments in the world? <laughs> And CB Insights lists eight Chinese edtech unicorns. But wait, there is a fundamental difference between the type of services that most Chinese K-12 edtech companies were offering, and actual schooling, which is what's needed right now. Right, most companies were in the business of offering K-12 tutoring and not instruction. That's because education in China is controlled by the government, and the rules are numerous. I mean, 
It's a public good, so compulsory education is heavily regulated by governments everywhere. So China is not alone in this by any means, but some of the rules there are more restrictive than here in the U.S., for example. We aren't education experts, so we're just picking a few of the rules and changes that have stood out to us, because we're guessing you might also not be aware of them. And we think they're good examples of how different the system is. So here goes the first fact, which is that the government recently banned the operation of for-profit schools for the years of compulsory education, which in China is from grades one through nine. Now that doesn't include international schools, so don't worry. Your expat friends in China aren't breaking the law, and the exact definition is that the school has to be distributing profits to qualify as one. So you can make money and not distribute the profits and be a nonprofit, but the intention is pretty clear: the government doesn't want to make it easy for you to just create your own school and to make loads of cash doing so. Given that public schools in China are actually pretty good, at least on the top end, and private schools, until maybe 10-15 years ago, used to be actually known as places where you sent your kids that simply couldn't cut it in public school. You know, this really doesn't sound as weird to some Chinese people as it does to us. Add to that that there were instances of shady schools faking their qualifications and charging loads of money. And you can see that there are indeed some elements of consumer protection intended. And while that hasn't stopped private schools from operating in China, or even becoming listed in Hong Kong, that doesn't mean there isn't disagreement, even amongst experts, about the limitations they must operate within. Basically, in China, for at least K to nine, the least risky is still working with the compulsory education system, which is exactly what the companies we talk about today do. They are not seeking to replace instruction, but to provide tutoring. And just how big is the after-school tutoring business in China? Well, it's sixty-four billion dollars, according to Frost and Sullivan, and of that. Not even ten percent was conducted online. That's about four point four billion. Not a ton of revenue, but pretty good for a market that was pretty much non-existent just a few years ago. And also, it's a lot less competitive than adult education, which is already around a quarter online. Most importantly, you got to look at the projected growth rates. The 2018 to 2023 K year for K-12 online tutoring, it's 65 percent. Do you know what that means? It means that in three years, the market size is expected to grow by more than 10 times to 53 billion dollars. Wow! Even for China, that kind of growth is pretty rare to see. I would take those numbers with a lump of salt, though, since the whole after-school tutoring segment is only growing at 15% a year now. So even if it doesn't slow down, that means we're looking at over 40% of tutoring taking place online in three years. Not the craziest estimate, but it's still quite aggressive. Maybe though, it's not that crazy, because when you guys are thinking of K-12 curricula. You're probably just thinking of math and language and history and science. In other words, the usual subjects. 
But in China, and yet another example we have of how much policy influences and can potentially expand this space, students are also incentivized to learn things like one of my personal favorite pastimes: Chinese calligraphy. The Ministry of Education had always said that cultural education was important, but in 2017, suddenly announced that it was even more important than language, math, and English, which led to some universities establishing a calligraphy major, and some provinces hinting this kind of knowledge might be tested on future college entrance exams. Needless to say, this immediately attracted investment into the space, and a bunch of such providers received venture capital funding in the last two years. So that's both a risk and opportunity for such providers. The overwhelming majority of Chinese students, nearly 10 million of them every year, still test for the notorious college entrance exam, the Gaokao, and it's still a pretty hard thing to pass. About 80% do make it to some sort of tertiary education, but only half of them, and that's about 40%, make it into an actual four-year bachelor's program. And this is already a record high in China after many years of overhauling the education system. It used to be much, much lower. And because whether you go to college or not, and where you end up going, can make a big difference in a young person's life, the two or three day, four session, total nine hour exam testing you on Chinese, math, science, or literature, depending on your choice of study, and foreign language, basically ends up being what the kid prepares for. Certainly, the entire last year of high school, but also pretty much throughout all the years they're in school as well. That's why, even in these life or death times of the coronavirus, people are stressing out about how to keep up their children's studies. I mean, unless you're really well off and planning to send your kids abroad, most Chinese families think the Gaokao is the most important day of their children's lives. It's when all those years of study and paid tutoring pay off, or don't. And if SARS is any example, then even an epidemic will not delay the test. And if anything, high school seniors might end up the first ones back to the classroom because the Gaokao is just that powerful of a motivating force. As this one student explained of his SARS Gaokao experience, our teacher told us that we cannot use SARS as an excuse to do poorly. When we graduate, we won't be able to say. Oh, but I did the Gaokao in the year of SARS. No one will care. We'll still be judged by where we went to school. Well, the teacher is incentivized to push the students because they can get bonuses depending on how well their students perform. Really, it's very common, and it actually goes for all standardized testing. Like one teacher received about forty-three thousand dollars in cash bonuses for teaching a student who tested top two in the high school entrance exam. That's on the high end, but it happens with regularity. So, what does this all have to do with edtech? Well, our point, which I hope we've hit home, is that Chinese people take K twelve education super seriously, and since most people still go through the public school system, much of the spending ends up taking place on tutoring. We're quoting from previous research we did for VIP Kit here, but. Almost all Chinese parents spend at least fifteen hundred dollars a year on this, and over a quarter spend over fifteen thousand dollars a year. That's compared to the U.S., where eighty percent of us are spending less than two thousand dollars per year. So let's take a deeper look at two of the companies: 
especially the ones that have been in the headlines in the last year, or have been highlighted by the press recently because of what they're doing to help combat the virus. We'll skip over industry giant TAL, or TAL, which is about an $8 billion market cap company right now. And also, um, we probably won't talk about new Oriental spinoff, Coolearn, which is listed in Hong Kong and edging close to $4 billion. Because Tao and New Oriental still have a large offline presence. And for this episode, we want to focus on those players that began with an internet DNA. We'll pick one public company and one private, recognizing that depending on how you segment the space, these are not the largest players necessarily, but they're just two of the top ones. So the first one is GSX, or Xue, which went public last June on the NYSE. It made huge waves in Chinese media because it is one of the very few pure play edtech companies that made it to not just the public markets, but to actual profitability after just one round of funding. Well, technically two rounds. A few million in seed funding from QF Capital and a $50 million Series A a few months later. So it's not like they raise no money. But still, it's in stark contrast to some of the other edtech companies in the space, like VIP Kid that's raised over a billion dollars, or the other company that we want to talk about, Yuan Fudao, which has raised over half a billion. So in comparison to those, yes, it's been pretty capital efficient. It's more than quadrupled since IPO, and it's now a $10 billion company. And most of those gains were actually made prior to the virus outbreak, because the company is growing quickly, even before the epidemic. Management revealed on its earnings call just this Wednesday that revenue in 2019 was five times what it was the year before, although that still only takes it to a top line of $300 million. And it also reported a non-GAAP net margin of 14% for Q4 of 2019, which looks pretty good regardless if you compare it to old-school competitors like Tao or newer companies that are straight-up loss-making. Although we do need to remember that winters tend to be seasonal highs in terms of profit for this industry, since summers are the most expensive in terms of sales and marketing. And boy, has it been an expensive summer for the industry. It was rumored that last summer, leading players were spending more than 1 million US dollars a day on advertising for customer acquisition. Why, you ask? Isn't that the only time when kids don't have to study? That's wrong. Chinese schools have mandatory summer vacation homework. Yep, you get a stack of booklets and handouts to complete over the break. Winter break, too. But summer break is the longer and thus more painful one. So you have homework, but no teachers, obviously. So tutoring will be really, really helpful here. And let's briefly explain the types of online tutoring that's commonly used these days. The first is one-to-one, like how VIP kids started. Then there's small class, which is often just a handful of students, from two to as many as 30, but typically eight or less. After small class, it's... You guessed it, large class. For Gunshe Xue, which operates primarily under this model, the large classes have grown in size from 400 a few years ago to 1,700 now. 
But of course, it's not just one teacher lecturing a thousand students. Gun Shui, like Yu Dao and others, go for a dual teacher model, by which they mean that there is one primary instructor who's lecturing, paired with multiple tutors who oversee a smaller group of students and make sure they're following along. And just in case there is any confusion, all of these classes are live streamed, so they're not pre-recorded like MOOCs here in the West. That's also a business model, but not the one we're focused on today. As you might have guessed, Genshishu's model heavily relies on star or celebrity teachers who can command the wallets of thousands of parents. In fact, their top ten teachers contribute forty-six percent of their total revenues. Now, depending on your viewpoint, that's either a scary amount of revenue concentration or proof of their core thesis, which is that great teachers are hard to come by, and the internet is the only way to scale this very scarce resource. This is especially true of less developed areas in China, where great teachers are rare. So, I guess if just for the social good this could deliver, we should wish Gunshui luck. Genshishu's prospectus doesn't provide demographic breakdown of its users. We only know that over three quarters of their revenue come from K-12 courses. So there's no way to figure out how many students are enrolling from third tier and below cities. But at the price of about $125 per class, it's pricey but still affordable for a good many families in China, who, if you'll remember, are spending thousands of dollars in after-school tutoring for their kids. By the way, this wasn't always obvious to Gun Shishu. The founder and CEO, 49-year-old Larry Chen Chen Xiangdong, came from New Oriental, having worked there for 15 years and rising through the ranks to executive director before quitting in 2014 to start Gun Shishu. His solid industry background is what got him the extra-large $50 million Series A, no doubt, because in the beginning, Gun Shishu, whose Chinese name translates to "Who to Learn From," was a marketplace where any teacher could sign up to offer whatever course they wanted. Its Series A announcement back in 2015 boasted that it had over 70,000 teachers and several million students, and hundreds of teachers onboarding every day. Contrast this with what's disclosed in their prospectus last June: 169 instructors and 522 tutors, and you can see what happened there. They made a major pivot in 2018, going from 22% K-12 education to 73%. Obviously, the marketplace model didn't work out as they expected. That's not super surprising. One of the key difficulties in a marketplace model is that it's just so hard to quality control. Sure, everyone can teach, but most people won't be great teachers. Having a ton of selection alone doesn't really mean much, especially when acquisition costs for online learning are multiples of what they are offline. This could be a really, really tough business model. Right. A study by Quest Mobile done in the first quarter of last year showed that traditional service providers like Tao or New Oriental, with both offline and online offerings, were acquiring new customers at about thirty to forty dollars, versus pure play online edtech companies that were seeing one hundred to seven hundred dollars spent to acquire each new customer. Of course, those courses might be higher dollar values too, but generally speaking. Acquisition costs for Chinese internet companies have been soaring for a while now, so this comes as no surprise to anyone, really. 
It's definitely no surprise to Yuan Fudao, another edtech unicorn that's also kind of stumbled upon the same route after pivoting a few times. Founded in 2012 and originally named Yuan Ti Ku, which means Ape Test Bank, the company was exactly that. It was an app that focused on the gaokao and helped you prepare by showing you questions from past exams and then predicting your performance based on your answers. Okay, it did a little more than that. It also allowed you to take photos of your homework, search for it in a database, and bring up an instructional video that will help you solve the problem you're stuck on. It apparently even corrected your English homework with AI. <laughs> it eventually covered all the middle school and high school grades and subjects, and naturally expanded into one-on-one -on -one tutoring. But sometime in 2016, four years after founding, it pivoted from a C2C marketplace to a B2C or branded service provider, where the platform itself vetted and hired the teachers and created the curriculum. Pretty much what Genshiu did too, right? Yep. Stepping back a moment in time here, a lot of the companies that got funded heavily during those years were one-on-one -on -one services, and since we did a full episode on VIP Kid, that's who we'll keep on bringing up as the example. But a few years in, most providers found that it was really difficult to build up a reputation using that model. Again, more students generally meant higher profits, and because there's just so much variability in each instructor's teaching ability, it was really difficult to build up a brand reputation based on a bunch of not even necessarily professionally trained teachers. More on that later. I agree. Much easier to market a handful of highly experienced and pedigree teachers instead, who might already have a following. But Yuan Fudao. Because it began life as a test prep tool and not a service, took more money to make the business model change work than Genshiu, or at least that's my simplified interpretation of the situation. I mean, it's already raised over ten times the fifty million dollars raised by Genshiu. That means Yuan Fudao has raised over half a billion dollars. Another well-pedigreed CEO here. Li Yong started his career as a journalist before joining Netties as an editor in their portal business, and eventually being promoted to VP there. When he quit to start his own company back in 2012, he was one of the few back then who could command angel funding pre-product. While the first product, which was also in education, failed, he managed to find success with Yuan Fudao. Not that much success. Its last confirmed revenue was about two hundred million dollars in two thousand eighteen, right before it received another three hundred million in funding led by Tencent. But we don't know anything about its profitability or growth. Many are actually quite skeptical of its valuation, pointing out that it is triple the valuation of Zuoyebang or ZYBang, another K twelve test bank and live streaming edtech company that claims no less than. Eight hundred million cumulative registered users. By the way, we have no idea what to make of these user numbers because the total number of K-12 students in China is only a hundred seventy-three million. So we don't know if that's just counting multiples of the same user across different apps under the same company or what. Yuan Fudao also announced with great fanfare that it's exceeded four hundred million registered users, which is also mind-bogglingly large. So I think the only wise course of action is to totally ignore all these and focus on other metrics that actually matter, like paying customers. 
Less than one percent of Yuanfu Dao's registered users were paying customers in 2018, and online tutoring, as you would expect, is much cheaper than offline, by about 50 percent actually. That means price points typically range from six to twenty dollars per hour, depending on the subject and format, and renewal rates are also low, as low as only twenty percent of students choose to renew their subscription. Well below the typical seventy percent for traditional offline providers. Not to mention the always present policy risks. The government is very active in both promoting the edtech space and also in making sure things like online tutoring don't become overheated. There's been a fairly steady drip of circulars or suggested implementations of the laws, and I guess most of them are meant to protect students. For example, training beyond the scope of or higher than the level of the textbook is banned. So are classes held after 8:30 p.m. Unfortunately, these are currently not followed. Other rules are also very consumer-friendly, such as banning the collection of more than three months' worth of fees in advance and requiring teachers to have the proper credentials. All very reasonable stuff. But don't think that means everyone is compliant. That's far from the case. I mean, as of IPO, about half of Genshishu's instructors did not have the necessary credentials, and Yuan Fudao had been embroiled in scandal for exaggerating the pedigree of their instructors as well. All these were existing headwinds for the online K-12 tutoring industry until the coronavirus struck. But then, as you know, schools had to close, tutoring centers had to close, and everything has to be done online. And here we are now—that sixty-four billion dollar market opportunity for after-school tutoring left wide open for the online players to go after. The ninety percent of the market that isn't online yet—is this the time for them to win them over? Gun Shaixue and Yuan Fudao have both made some of their paid products free during these dangerous times. Yeah, and Gun Shaixue announced that it got 15 million new users during the epidemic, five times the total number of paying users it got for all of last year. I mean, these services are going to just seem so much better than the regular school system. The traditional school system doesn't know how to do this sudden shift online. Sure. You can tell your teachers, do some pre-recorded lessons, do some live streaming, but most of your full-time employees, they're not going to know how to use any of these tools. Why would they? Sure enough, almost as soon as these teachers started, the complaints began. We won't list them for you here, but there were a lot of hilarious incidents, from forgetting to turn on their mics and cameras to trying to deal with students with funny nicknames. Let's just say things did not run smoothly. And while larger edtech companies like Tao are providing infrastructure solutions for the schools, many teachers just ended up using the available collaboration tools such as WeChat and DingTalk. In fact, DingTalk is being used a lot, and poor Alibaba actually had to beg students to stop flooding the app with one-star reviews just because they didn't want to go back to school. And that brings us to the end of this introductory lesson to the online K-12 tutoring market in China. We chose to go over it today because it is most certainly getting a boost in the short term, at least, from the COVID-19 epidemic, but also because truly, 
EdTech is a huge industry in China, and definitely something we'll cover more of in the future. Yes, to reiterate, K-12 tutoring in general is a $64 billion industry in China, and the vast majority of parents are spending a few thousand dollars per year on after-school lessons for their kids, and a quarter of them are spending more than five digits. Over 90% of the market is still taking place offline, but online tutoring is already an almost $5 billion business, and it might grow 10 times in the next few years. The main reason for this, of course, is the fact that the college entrance examination, or Gaokao, is so important, and also so hard. Only 40% or so of the students who take it qualify to go to a four-year bachelor's degree program. This means that students in China literally spend all of their time preparing for it, and even the epidemic probably won't delay it, because 17 years ago, SARS didn't. The Ministry of Education is tough when it comes to tests. Unlike the College Board, which, by the way, just canceled the March SATs in China. The Ministry of Education also has a super tight control over the education sector in China. So businesses operating in this area should always be very aware of policy changes, which can make or break your business. Luckily, the ministry is pretty bullish on integrating technology with education. Unluckily, some of their rules can really drag on operating margins, although most of them are geared towards protecting the consumer, such as requiring the necessary professional certifications and such. We picked two businesses to highlight briefly, the publicly listed Genshui and the still private Yuanfudao. Genshui has gone up quite a bit since the virus hit and is now a $5 billion market cap company. Yuanfudao is last valued at $3 billion, but already raised around 10 times the capital Genshui had before going public, which was just one round of $50 million. While Genshui started as a marketplace for teachers and Yuanfudao as a test bank for K-12 students, both of them eventually ended up in the large class dual teacher online K-12 tutoring space. It's what accounts for over three quarters of Genshui's revenues. For Genshui, the classes are getting bigger every quarter, and they're now at almost 2,000 students. For both, the classes are taught by one celebrity teacher and supported by a group of tutors who then monitor smaller groups of students. Unlike one-on-one tutoring, such as the model utilized by VIP Kid, large classes are much more scalable and can build up brand recognition much more quickly. It also makes sense if you believe that it's the teaching talent that's the most scarce resource in tutoring, and not necessarily the one-on-one personalization. Regardless, these B2C large class providers are experiencing tremendous growth right now by offering free lessons for the stuck-at-home K-12 students who must continue their studies despite the epidemic. In contrast with their non-tech-savvy regular teachers, the live-streaming gurus of these platforms, we think, are going to gain lots of new fans and paying subscribers. What do you think? Do you have any questions? Send us all your questions and your comments at ying at techbuzzchina.com, or you can find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at techbuzzchina. And our new website, it's techbuzzchina.com. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. 
Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together and are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at ThePanDaily, at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is spelled R-U-I-M-A. And my Twitter is spelled G-I-N-Y-G-I-N-Y. Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on SubChina. Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Tai Wei Chen and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening.